Welcome to the table, everyone. Thanks for joining us tonight. Thanks for tuning in once again to the Will and Dave Show. A quick little content advisory for tonight. We are going to be talking about uh, some of the mental health effects with the uh, current state of the world and current health crisis. So just be aware of that as we're as we're going into tonight that we are going to be talking about some somewhat more sensitive topics, and we may get into that a little bit uh, deeper than usual. So just so you're aware. Uh, hey, Will. Hey, Dave. We have a sponsor tonight. Oh, really? We have one sponsor tonight because we're going to focus on one this week, and that is Stitched. By Susan. Ah, uh, the old standby. And she has a request, Will, I forgot to mention earlier. Oh, no. Your mother, you know, if she hadn't married me, she p- probably would have married a man with a Scottish accent. <sighs> she hasn't asked that you would read this ad, like Sean Connery, with all respect and kudo. With all respect to Mr. Connery and his family. Um <clears throat> If you happen to be looking for a quilt, check out Stitched by Susan. She sells the finest quilts, made by hand, all of them. Or if you happen to be a bit of a quilting fanatic yourself, you can check out her patterns at her Etsy shop, Stitched by Susan. And if you don't have those skills but would like to have them, she also sells courses. So check out stitchedbysusan.com. Not my best. Not my best. I I owe you. If your mother doesn't <laughs> owe you, I owe you. As a bit of a backstory here, folks, we were... Okay, I have to add that to the broadcast, Will. <laughs> I think yeah. your mom's in love with you. We were before the show, and we were doing our run-through of the show, and William was doing it as Matthew McConaughey. And I said, I bet if I asked mom, she'd like to have the ad run the Matthew McConaughey voice. <laughs> I'm sensing a running gag now. I'm thinking so. I'm okay with this. It's been a week, Will. Yeah, yeah, it's been a week. It's been a week. I'm going to be really happy to talk about somebody else's mental health. Because (laughs) maybe maybe I can get some counseling from Anne for my mental health, because I think I might need it (laughs) this week. It's it's Uh, a bit of I I did forget to to do the intro. So our expert they're going to be talking to today... is Anne Dickout from Door of Hope Guidance. And she's going to be here to talk about some of the effects of the current uh, global health crisis on our mental health and as she's seen it in her industry, as she has over 35 years of experience in the counseling and mental health field, both inside the church and in a more uh, secular setting. And so we're really hoping to tap into her, her extensive knowledge base tonight. Why, hello, Anne. Hi. Hello. Hi, Welcome to the Will and Dave Show, <laughs> live on YouTube. <laughs> it's good to be here. I'm I'm honored to be here. Well, don't say that yet. Yeah, yeah. Don't say just no free things like that. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a bit of a story to tell, and I was going to wait till a little bit later, but I'm going to do it now because I just want to get it out of the way because it's a it's from a painful point in my youth. Many years ago, I lived with you. I think I was eight or nine years old, which is many, many moons ago. And I decided to run away. I, I have no idea why. Maybe I didn't like the popcorn. I don't know. And so I'm running away. And we lived in the middle of nowhere. And I don't know where I was going to run to, but I was running away. And I got about half a mile from the house. 
And there you were, sitting on a stump on the side of the road, saying, uh, where are you going, Dave? The Lord told me you were going somewhere. And so now as a parent, I kind of call baloney. I think you were just smarter than I was. But I will never forget. I do remember those those years fondly. <laughs> You were quite the little scallywag. <laughs> See, William, somebody remem- remembers me fondly from those years. <laughs> well, I mean, I wasn't really around. I remember the place fondly, though. I do, I do have good memories of the place. Yes. So th- that we have in common. So we have a bit of a game uh, that we do with our guests, Dan. Because okay. I go on Facebook and I go, <laughs> I go stalking for photographs. This is you and your lovely husband. Or your handsome husband. I don't know what I'm saying. Yes, very rugged. And then I think we have a couple more. If I could get there. Where is this? We were um, here in Naples, Florida. We were on uh, a princess cruise. It was a sunset cruise. Okay. And we went out um on the boat, there were a lot of people on the boat with us actually, and um, traveled out into the Gulf. It was really a lovely evening. I like the sunset, it's very beautiful. Explain <laughs> this, if you will. <laughs> okay, uh, this is a, a time when I used every technique that I ever give to uh, my clients that come to me. Um, My daughter decided that we were going, we went to Tennessee to visit her. And she told us that when we arrived uh, in the evening, the next morning at eight o'clock, we were gonna go on a zip line. Well, I had never been on a zip line, so I had no idea what we were getting ourselves into. (laughs) <laughs> and about a zip line, you know, it was something like five feet over the ground and you kind of slid, you know? Right. Well, we ended up getting all harnessed up and I'm thinking, good grief, what is this? And so then we get in this vehicle and we start climbing up this mountain and I'm saying, Dara, are you kidding? <laughs> well, <laughs> this she was just kidding. last year. <laughs> She says, wow, you're fearless. I always thought you were fearless. I said, yeah, well, I was 21. And so I'm standing on this on this platform that is like way above the trees. And I'm thinking, and, I, and people pay to do this? <laughs> so it was complimentary anyway. I, I mean, I just said, okay, I am not looking down. <laughs> I've seen mountains before, and I hope this is going to be over. She says, Mom, there's five of them. I said, oh, my. And then she says, and I didn't tell you this, Mom, but when we get to the end, you kind of have to scale down like you'd scale down on a mountain, you know, like, you know, when you're you're mountain climbing, you know, have to scale down. I said, oh, really? So here we are at the end. I finally get to the end. Because it was only two ways. One way was EMS by helicopter <laughs> or through. 
<laughs> I didn't have too many options. Okay, so I thought, okay, people don't die doing this. I'm going through it. So anyway, we get to the very final thing. And I said, so what happens here? She said, well, you stand on the edge and it's kind of like a fireman's pole. And, and the gal is going to just help you and you're going to go down on a cable. I said, oh, okay. <laughs> so the woman kind of pushes me off and down I go. <laughs> I don't know how many feet it was. Probably, probably 75 at least, you know. Yeah, so that was quite the trip. I'll never forget it. <laughs> Well, I have a lot of history with you, Anne, and I will never forget <laughs> a number of years ago, I was in Florida and we came to visit you and you met us at the door with a nine millimeter in your hand because <laughs> it's Florida and Anne comes to the door with, and I can't make this stuff up, William. She showed up at the door with a nine mil and she said, I just wanted to show you that I own a gun. <laughs> Oh my well, word. <laughs> you just you just hit the triple whammy. I am afraid of open water, heights, and firearms. So this is great. <laughs> well, this will make you laugh because just today, just today, I heard somebody in the back of our property shooting guns off, you know. So I said to Dan, hey, come on, we gotta go meet these people. <laughs> and he goes, No. I said, sure, we it's a good time. They're out there. So I get to the back of the property, the guy is shooting his gun. And so I put my fingers up to my lips and I whistled. <laughs> See, I'm also talking about that because I can't do that. I can't do it. I'm, so I'm anyway, the guy it. stops. <laughs> I practiced it for many years when I was in primary school. <laughs> oh my God, anyway, it's really <laughs> It's really come in handy over the years. It truly has. Nice. So anyway, he, he comes over and I said hello to him. I said, I have a Glock. I really would need to have a gun range like you've got. Would you mind if I came over and practice shooting at in your in your backyard? <laughs> Dan is just about to choke. And <laughs> the guy says, sure, it'd be great. So that's in our future. <laughs> Beautiful. Oh man! Uh, community. Remind me to come to you when I need counseling, Anne, because I think I think if if you couldn't help me, you just put me out of my misery. I, it, it'd all be good. It would end well either way. <laughs> oh, oh, good lord! <laughs> On that note, why do we transition? <laughs> just into something slightly more somber. I don't know how to transition from that to. To the state of the world that we're in, but it probably it's good because laughter is the best medicine there. So they tell me, and it probably is yes. good yeah, to enter into or to go into a conversation as somber as mental health with a little bit of laughter because I'm, it is not a, uh, it just isn't a happy topic and it isn't an easy topic, is it, Anne? Right, right. And People I don't know how else to transition. Okay, so people are, are experiencing all kinds of things. I think that in Florida, it's a little bit easier than it is in other places because of the weather that, that we experience in Florida. So to be outside um, is, is easy. Um, 
church for us has continued uh, social distancing. We had probably 1,800 people last weekend in our church <laughs> service. So I think that's a little bit different than what's happening in Canada um, and, and in la- larger areas. Um, so we're really, we're really fortunate. We have, um, orchestra playing in the church. We're kind of distanced, but, um, able to, able to do music. We have a choir. It's not the same amount of people as we normally have. Normally we would have probably, um, about 110 or 120 people in our choir loft. But, um, right now, no, not that many at right. all, just because people are reluctant. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But we're social distancing in that you've got three seats between your family unit and another family unit. Right. Six feet in front is the row. Six feet in back uh, is the next row. So very, very safe. People wear mm-hmm. masks. Some don't. Um, it's not mandatory. But with regard to mental health, you know, it, it, it's just... People were afraid, especially at the very beginning. We didn't know much about the virus. We didn't know um, how how it was really, uh, how contagious it was. Mm -hmm. I think that over time we've seen how it's important to protect yourself, to wash your hands, to do all the things that they've been telling us to do. But I think think in many ways it's isolated people where, Mm -hmm. where they're locked in their homes and and with no real outlet where there's not activities for people to put their minds um, onto. Um, so, so that's been very difficult. And when you're, when you're isolated in your home, um, you have interrelating problems. So you have people who, who the intensity in the home is, is significant. They're mm-hmm. arguing, they're, debating they're fighting they're afraid they're um, yeah, any any friction that was already in a home is only going to be exacerbated because they can't get away from each other you can't you know go out for a drive or, or a walk or go see your mom or anything like that because there's nowhere to go yes then then there's been people of course who have lost their jobs um then you have a whole different level of of fear and anxiety because now i've got rent that's due or a mortgage that's due and I don't have any income. And most people don't have um, the dollars to, to hold them for three months, much less a year. Um, So, so that has been extremely difficult. Now, when I look at, you know, my own um, counseling situation, we have people who, who have come that have marriage issues like, like they're just, they're in one another's faces. And so they don't really know how to, to communicate properly. Uh, mm-hmm. Some have decided their, their marriage is about to dissolve. Um, a lot of different, a lot of different things. And you have young people who are, are also looking at, um, they, they're not going to graduate from school like they normally would. They're doing online right. learning. Um, the stress of all of that, their whole, their whole um, regime that they would normally do, all of the things that would occupy them, now they're, yeah, they're, they're, they're facing one another. Yeah, 
don't have access to, to close contact with their friends, sports, or even just again, like just getting away from things. They don't have there's no escape or outlet from it. They're just kind of yes. stuck dealing with it. Where is if that in relationship to in the homeless in 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 those who who are who are the um I don't know how to say this the less fortunate so the homeless or those in poverty has it hit them any harder is it is it easier as because there are more social services or what has happened in that you know that area of society in well we have a homeless shelter that's a 110 bed homeless shelter in our town um, and they have gone from church to church. Uh, they have really poured out many, many of the people that run that shelter have also provided food for people. Mm-hmm. So our church has, um, it's not as much right now, but probably in the last six months, I know there was one week that we handed out 8,000 meals to uh, to people who came and drove through a car line to have groceries put in the back of their truck. So I take it that, that's that's like a, that's an abnormal number. That's not the usual. Oh my that, word! No, no, no. You don't usually right. see that kind of number. Um, right. They would come every week, and 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 our 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 um, parking lot is quite large it would wind all around and go right out mm. onto the main street um, as they would wait. Some of them would wait one, two, sometimes three hours just to get through to get the groceries. See, I think so. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> Terrible. Yeah. It's, it, I, I, I want to throw back quickly to when we were talking about uh, uh, in, inside the home how there's there's less outlets less uh less being able to escape if if the home situation isn't particularly healthy are we seeing any kind of uh sort of looking for adjustment in how people are trying to manage their emotions like you have just as a as a, as a random example say you have a teenager who's in a in a, a home where their parents don't get along or something like that is the teenager obviously they're going to be having a harder time because they can't there's there's no escapism there's no relief from uh, uh, a dicey home environment like that. Are they, I can't, I can't think of any word this. Are they digging into how to deal with that more or are they just suffering more? Like, is there a, <clears throat> some, I don't know if I'm some that well, some, well, some of them are doing okay, but others are not doing well. I've had right. people come to my office, young people who are cutting, who are depressed, mm-hmm. who who are fearful, um, afraid that their parents are going to die should they catch it. Um, mm-hmm. Some who have come where maybe their grandparent passed, um, mm-hmm. and and they're afraid that that they're going to catch it too, and what what's it going to be like? Um, so a, a lot of fear around that. Mm-hmm. Um, what my what my role actually has been is to teach um, those who come to me um, about the sequence of thought. So okay. the sequence of thought goes like this. I Not every thought that comes into my head belongs to me. 
The only thoughts that belong to me are the ones that I accept as true. If I accept a thought as true, whether it's true or blatant error, it will become true for me because I will embrace it and I will take it as my own. So my teaching would be to be very picky about what I accept as true. So when we look at <clears throat> when we look at people who are radical, uh, particularly the the people who um, were involved with nine eleven, mm-hmm. they bought into concepts that were not true um, f- to such a degree that they marinated in those concepts. They bought into those concepts to where they denied their very own existence. Hmm. And on 9-11, they thought what they did was the right thing to do. These were not Mm -hmm. stupid people. These were people who learned how to fly planes, learned how to uh, organize crime. So that tells me that you and I can buy into concepts about ourselves, about the family that we're living with, about the worldview that we have that may Mm -hmm. or may not be true. But if I accept it as true and it's error, I may not blow myself up over it, but I could wreck my life on an installment plan Mm -hmm. a little bit, Mm -hmm. a little bit by a little bit. Right. Right. so, I want to go back. So, I want to ask you a question because I love that phrase. I want to wreck my life on an installment plan. I think that that if if anyone has a takeaway line from tonight, would you delve into that a little bit? Because that's in a it's a capsule that I think it's easy it's easy to remember. How do we okay. ruin so our lives? So what would on an the installment plan? Okay, so the installment plan would go like this. I think. And then I feel, and then I behave. Okay, so there's three. Let me see if I can get this in front of the camera right. (laughs) Okay, so I think, I feel, and I behave. It's A, B, C. It's not C, B, A. It's not B, C, A. It's A, B, C. So a perfect example of that is, If I think about a hot caramel sundae long enough, I'm going to feel like one. And then what am I going to do? I'm going to go get one. And so depending on how many times I think about it, I'm going to find that this, this, the feeler has memory. So because Mm -hmm. the feeler has memory, it tells me that that's a good idea. And so, then pretty soon I'm going to go do it. And depending on how many times I've gone there and depending on how strong that memory is, I'm either going to get that caramel Sunday this afternoon or tomorrow or a week from now, or maybe sometime in the future. So when you look at addiction, which is something that um, is very prevalent with coronavirus uh, and all, I mean, addictions have have risen to a great rate. Mm -hmm. Um, How did somebody become an addict? They were not born an addict. What did they do? They began to self-soothe with 
a drug or with alcohol and they repeated it. So they would, that was a guaranteed mood change. Mm -hmm. So kept going to it, repeated it pretty soon. The, the memory is so strong that you don't even realize you're thinking about it and you have impulse control because you're already going for it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so how does an addict become an addict? One drink or one drug at a time and they wake up one day and it has them and they don't have it. And so over time we're talking and the installment plan is just, it's over time. Every time you do that, it's just the nickel in the slot. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. So that's why it's so important that we realize that when we allow toxic thoughts, they're going to produce toxic emotions. Mm-hmm. So my my little my little tree illustration Which is one would good. You like? well, what we I'm going to sh- show it to you here. Nope, nope. No, the other uh, one. That one. Fear tree or love tree? The, first one. Okay. the love tree. Love tree first. Okay. There we go. Okay. So whenever we think or we build thought in our mind, uh, Dr. Caroline Leaf talks about um, that we can either, we are wired, let me put it this way we are wired to love. God created us to love. Uh, but we've learned to fear. So if you look at it as a tree and you look at the root system that produces the tree, we need to see that there's a domino effect. And the domino effect is initially we will have healthy thoughts. Healthy thoughts produce healthy emotions. Healthy emotions produce healthy words. Healthy words produce healthy choices. Healthy choices produce healthy dreams about what the tomorrows are going to look like. Healthy seeds will be the next domino effect. And those are seeds that we accept as thoughts in our own mind and seeds that we sow in the minds of others. And that will produce healthy faith and then healthy love, then that healthy love will not be a taking love, but a giving love. Then healthy touch where we're able to reach outside of ourselves and, um, and support people. Then healthy health and healthy schedules. This is like a domino effect that produces a tree and in the tree is fruit. So kindness, patience, peace, joy, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So when you look at the root system and you see what it produces, we have to know that because we're wired to love, you cannot have love and fear occupying the same space. Mm -hmm. They're, They're not able to coexist. So we have to look then at the fear tree. The Bible says that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Thought is very powerful. So 
we look at the fear tree and we look at the root system, it has the same root words. However, they're toxic. So toxic thoughts produce toxic emotions, which produce toxic words, which produce toxic choices, which produce toxic dreams about what the tomorrows are going to look like, which produces toxic seeds. So the words that I say and the words that I uh, accept as true, which produces toxic faith. We don't have ourselves rooted and grounded on a solid foundation, which produces toxic love where we're taking, what about me? Why aren't you doing this for me? It becomes very toxic. Then toxic touch, which again takes. Then toxic seriousness, which the seriousness is um, oftentimes depression, anxiety, that kind of thing, which produces toxic health and which produces toxic schedules. And the toxic schedules could look like um, delving into work where we become a workaholic or just being totally lazy and doing nothing. That root system produces the tree and comparing the trees, this tree has no foliage on it. And if you look at the bottom um, area, what do we have? On the left, we have learning disabilities because our thoughts affect us as human beings. So when you look at that, you've got ADD, ADHD, anxiety issues. You look on the right side, you've got general anxiety disorders, obsessive compulsive disorders, post-traumatic stress disorders, panic, phobia, that kind of thing. All of those are anxiety established and driven. If we don't make adjustments on that level, the tree continues to grow. And in the next level, you'll see on the left, addiction issues, alcohol, drugs, pornography, eating disorders, shopaholic, whatever is a habitual destructive cycle that shows up there. On the other side, you have diagnosed mental health disorders. If we don't make adjustments on that level, the tree continues to grow and it shows up in the body. And in the body, it shows up possibly as degenerative disorders, dementia, circulatory issues, central nervous system issues, immune system issues, migraine headaches, cardiovascular system, and digestive systems. So it is very important that we become aware when we are thinking toxic thoughts because they are going to produce toxic feelings which are going to produce toxic behaviors so if you look at all of that i've had people come into my office and say well i live in the toxic so what do i do so i'll say okay you need to become mindful of when it's toxic and when it's toxic on purpose make it healthy on purpose make it healthy Well, some people have been unhealthy for so long, they don't even even really know how I could make it healthy. So Mm -hmm. I'll say, okay, so um, 
maybe I could say something like this. Okay, so I get this toxic thought in my mind that says, if I was this, I wouldn't be that. And if I was that, I wouldn't be the other. And I'm not any of those. And so, and all of this talk in my own head. Um, I will say, what you want to do is arrest that thinking. Stop it in its tracks and then on purpose make it healthy. And making it healthy could look like something like this. I'm not where I used to be. I'm not where I need to be, but I'm okay and I'm on my way. And just doing that, when you begin to to think healthy thoughts, you can actually feel the toxic drain because we're wired to love. We're wired to be healthy. Um, we sabotage ourselves so many times. Well, yeah. In, 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 in the sense that, like, as you were saying with negative thoughts, you, you, you feel negative, you have negative thoughts turn into negative feelings turn into negative actions in, in the same sense, if someone is so used to, to being negative or to having toxic thoughts, it's going to feel irregular. It's going to feel false when you arrest that thought, but if you do it enough times, you arrest it and replace it with a healthier thought enough times, that becomes the new norm. In the same way that you've learned uh, a toxic behavior, you can unlearn the toxic behavior. It will feel weird at the beginning. It will feel, uh, I don't, I don't want to say unnatural, but it will feel like you're faking it. But if you do it enough times, it takes yes. root. Yes. Absolutely. I can relate to that because I've been saying it to Susan for years. If she will say that I'm handsome enough times, it'll come true and it won't feel as <laughs> odd. Well, I'm not sure if that's supported You're by sick. science, Dave. Is that not the way that works? Because I'm pretty sure if she says it often enough, it'll come true. I want to come back. I just had to interject that. I'm sorry, folks. I, just, I can't stay serious very long. For real world examples in a marriage, and this is one thing I know, I was looking at stats this afternoon in preparation for the show, and marriages are taking a hammering right now in COVID yeah. in this in this environment of being home all the time. If you're in a relationship and, and you are, and I'm aware and my partner's not, or my partner's aware and I'm not aware of the of the toxicity, what do we do if we're aware and they're not, you know, if one party is aware and the other one isn't. Okay. I'm going to say this marriage is the perfect environment to show up how selfish we are as human beings. <laughs> Guilty as charged. <laughs> okay. I didn't tell you so... to talk about me. <laughs> <laughs> So it's really important that, you know, in my relationship with my husband, for example, I mean, I can't remember when, um, when we were intense um, or had an argument that got out of hand. I, I can't remember ever that ever happening. But <clears throat> the reason is because I love him and he loves me. We don't reduce ourselves to dysfunction in order to communicate with each other. Right. Hmm. That is so important because our words are containers of power. We need to use them very carefully because they will either tear down or build up. They'll either enhance or destroy. 
And so what we want to do is we want to interrelate in a way that is going to, to bring, bring some kind of bending. So sometimes in a marriage, we can become very resistant when we're resistant to each other. Uh, and we haven't learned how to flex, um, I kind of find that now as I'm getting a little older, if I don't keep moving and flexing, I get stiff. So when we, <laughs> when, when we don't flex in a marriage, we get stiff and rigid in our own way of doing things. Mm-hmm. I've done it this way forever and I'm going to keep doing it. Well, mm-hmm. that's not any way to, re- to interrelate with one another. Uh, we need to guard our words, but our words are our outcomes of thought. Mm-hmm. Right? So where does that all where does that all begin in my thought? So how do you think of your spouse? Um, mm. When he does something that maybe irritates you, are you magnifying his deficits or her deficits, or are you magnifying the strengths? So I don't spend a lot of time um, marinating on my husband's deficits. And I can tell you, he doesn't do that with me. Do we have deficits? Oh, sure. (laughs) But that's not what we focus on. We focus on the things that we can interrelate well together. There's this wonderful bit that I've always remembered. There's a, a, a columnist in, I can't remember where he is, named Dan Savage. And he, he has this term that he refers to as a mayonnaise jar. And it, he uses it in reference to his partner. His partner constantly leaves the mayonnaise jar out. No matter how many times he asks, they always, always leave the mayonnaise jar out. And at, at one point, he, he, was, it was, he was getting to him. He was, he was so angry about the mayonnaise jar. But then he looks at all the other things that his spouse does you know, whatever those things may be. I don't, I don't remember the details, but in relation to all the good things his spouse does, the mayonnaise jar is a very, very small problem. Yes, it gets under his skin and aggravates him, but it is a, a minute deficit relative to all the advantages that his partner brings to their relationship. And so he he turned it in kind of like a term when, when he was, as a columnist, people would write into him and he'd be like, is that a mayonnaise jar problem or is that a real problem? And yeah. Good. Well, Something that, that um, I, I, I have a paper that I wrote on communication skills. I'd like to just highlight a couple of them. Um, the purpose of communication is to get your message across to others clearly and unmistakably. Doing this involves effort from both the sender of the message and the receiver of the message. Mm-hmm. In fact, communication is only successful when the sender and the receiver understand the same information as a result of communication. By successfully getting your message across, you convey your thoughts and ideas effectively. When not successful, the thoughts and ideas that you send do not necessarily reflect what you're trying to say, causing a communications breakdown. The the inability to communicate clearly often creates roadblocks that stand in the way of your goals, both personally and professionally. Do you say what you mean and mean what you say? Are you too aggressive or too passive when you attempt to express yourself? So you have to become aware, right? Right. So you can overcome communication hindrances. And this is, this is an interesting way to, to look at it. So the next time you're speaking to your spouse um, or she's speaking to you, this is a good tool to use. Stop what you're doing. 
Look at the person you're talking to. Listen to what's being said. Hear what's being felt. You may not agree, but hear what's being felt. Don't interrupt. Learn from his or her experience. Don't prove your point. Allow the other to challenge your position. Respect the other position. Value your relationship above your opinion. So I'm going to ask right now if we can get a copy of that because, and I mean this in all seriousness, is that is the basis of this show. It is, honestly. Sure. I was listening I to, to that sure. and it encapsulated in a way that we have never been able to say it, the reason for this show. As William and I, we disagree on so many levels and yet we love each other and it's mm. not about... Yes. Uh, shut up, Will. <laughs> <laughs> it's not about making our each other be wrong. Except I like how you voice it much better than we have. So. It's much more eloquently put than we could ever do, I think. Okay, or there's, a, there's another that. little part to it. It says, there are two foundations on which communication is built. The first is feeling, which results in meaningful conversation. The second is insensitivity, which always ends in estrangement. When you communicate with a person, listen to yourself and evaluate how you're coming across. Remember, if you do what you've always done, you'll get what you've always gotten. Today and tomorrow, I make a choice. Change begins with me. I am accountable for my actions. I am responsible for my attitudes. I control my feelings. It is I who set my limitations. It is I who establish my goals. Purpose and motivation are spawned within my heart. I alone choose what I shall eat, watch, touch, and listen to. I alone choose my friends and the people who influence me. In a very real sense, I am what I choose to be. With God's help, today and tomorrow will be filled with purpose. So I hear that and I think of there are so many applications for that in a marriage, in a relationship in between you and friends if you if you if you're doing that in between in between a mom and a child it would act out in the same way is there any is there an easier way to word it for for kids that making any sense now, I, you sort of broke up you broke up a little bit so i didn't quite I, catch that is, is there a way to make like we as full-fledged adults are, are, are getting that statement is there yeah. a way to break it down and make it more digestible for say a kid or a youth not that we have well, a lot you'd of young be surprised how, we did. you would you would be surprised at how children understand 
what I've just written. Interesting. Um, they, they do. I've had teenagers that have come into my office and, and they're fighting with their parent or whatever. And we begin to establish things that are simple. So I would expound on it. But, you know, when you think about it, um, a contractor uses absolute standards to measure by. Mm-hmm. Those absolute standards are the square, the plumb line, the measuring tape, the level. He may know all about those standards, but if he doesn't utilize those standards, they are of no value to him. Mm-hmm. Um, he may build something that looks like a house if he only guesstimates if it's level, if he only guesstimates what's 12 inches. But when the storms of life come along, the house is going to dissolve very quickly because the floors aren't level, the windows aren't square, you know, and sometimes you find houses that are built like that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So what we have to establish is what absolute standards do I measure my thinking, my feeling, and my behavior against? And so my, my perspective is the word of God is my absolute standard. If I don't measure my life up against the word of God, I'm going to build something, but it's not going to hold up under the storms of life. And so to me, it is so vital that we are established on solid ground, um, when we think of morality and we think of right and wrong, those standards were established um, in the word of God. The farther that a society gets away from God, the more corrupt it becomes. And, and we're seeing that. So I find it, I find it super interesting throughout this whole, this whole uh, uh, conversation with you. So, for those who don't know the show or, or you yourself, Anne, I'm, I myself am am not uh, uh, religious, but I find it super, not, not, not just interesting, but enthralling how my wife who works in, in she's a, a, a social worker, and her approach to, to mental health and mental health treatment and your approach to mental health treatment, while you have different um, avenues where yours, you know, in our conversation here is, is, you know, coming at it through a biblical standpoint and hers is coming at it from a secular standpoint. A lot of the conclusions are incredibly, incredibly similar. And I find that so, I don't know what the word is, but I find that magical that they're, that they are so intertwined for all the separation that we assume there is between like, I, I, I recognize that I have a bias against uh, uh, biblical teaching sometimes, especially in regards to mental health, because I sit here and I'm like, well, the scientists know better. But in reality, you're reaching for a lot of the same conclusions. You're getting there maybe through a different path, but it's mm-hmm. – I, I find that really amazing to find how, how closely intertwined those paths toward a happier, healthier mental state is. I well, really encouraging. having – Thank you. Um, What is really interesting is when I worked in adult felony drug court here in Florida, um, uh, I I worked with, we had probably 150 
uh, criminals that were mandated for treatment um, under the under the the supervision of the courts. What had happened was they had committed crimes uh, to fund their drug addiction and uh, had sentences. Some of them had restitution of uh, $10,000. Others had jail sentences that were up to 10 years. Um, Those sentences were suspended pending successful completion of drug court. Um, Drug court would last anywhere from 18 months to three years. And sometimes I would be watching television in the evening with my husband and I would see one of my patients on Florida's Most Wanted. Um, So (laughs) 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 right. (laughs) No, actually, what's amazing, though, is when you see mental health, having worked in mental health for many years myself, Um, um, the medical model, um, it has its place, but, but mental health and the psychotropic medications that are given to patients, the psychiatrists themselves will tell you it is not a cure. Oh yeah. So I'm not talking uh, medication. I mean the, the, the process and the, the discussion around mental health that you're having, like your, your roots and your fruits and all these things. It's a secular teaching of mental health may use different terminology, but it's the same, the same idea. It's, it's different words to describe the same concept. And I just find that really engaging. Yes. The principles are solid and true. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and what was fascinating to me was when I worked in drug court, because many of, many of the people had, had been chained in addiction for years mm-hmm. and were convinced that they could not recover. And so mm-hmm. my role was to convince them that they could. Right. Um, and wow, you, I mean, I still have um, patients that call me and some Mm. who have had difficulty, some of their family members uh, come um, trying to, you know, rationalize where things are at at any given moment. So uh, what a privilege, what a privilege to to be able to to be there and support someone that's that's struggling, struggling. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's just an honor. I just want to say I want to interject that I should get some credit. Those months that I lived with you laid the foundation for you moving into counseling and dealing with mental health problems. Oh, yeah. I I deserve some credit. And I know that Tim Vandenhoevel is watching, and he will concur that anybody who dealt with me has a foundation for dealing with mental health issues. Yep. I I can confirm that. Yep. I remember one time, David, what, that was in particular where you were supposed to put wood in the wood box and you didn't get it in the wood box. And and uh, Grandma Betty uh, put that wood all over your bed. Do you remember that? I don't, but I can only imagine. <laughs> I could. I only have the faintest recollection of Grandma Betty, but I could absolutely see her doing that. Absolutely. <laughs> She put it all over his bed with, you know, whatever splinters came with it. Um, (laughs) And when he came in to drop into bed, here was this 
<laughs> half a cord of wood on the bed. Beautiful. I, I, I want to quickly backtrack before I lose it here, before we, before we end up the episode. I had this wonderful little mental flash while we were talking. You were talking about how a contractor measures and how they have their tools to make sure that the foundation is square and true and solid. And uh, you don't have to put me in the one up because this is this is not actually uh, uh, inspirational in any way. But you're talking about that and how we, we said that some houses are not like that. Some houses are not built with those tools. So in a way, you're kind of like the Mike Holmes of mental health. Coming into a crooked foundation and making it right. Mm-hmm. And I just I have I have a picture of Mike Holmes in like a nurse's outfit now coming and fixing people's uh, mental health problems. I liked it. I just wanted to share. Well, that's very good because we had a situation in in our house that we're living in presently that would that would show this. Um, we had um, it seemed like there was heat in our concrete floor. Um, unusual. I mean, we air conditioner. I don't know why we would have hot in the concrete, and mm-hmm. so. Over a period of time, we noticed that it was warm. I thought, well, maybe the hot water pipe is running there through that concrete. Maybe it's just radiant heat. Until we ended up with a with a hot water bill or an electric bill that like was way over the top. Mm-hmm. Well, what had happened was when they built the house, we had hot water from the hot water tank that was leaking down into the sand. Uh, uh, because either on a Friday or a Monday, we're not quite sure, <laughs> they didn't seal the pipe. Mm. And so the pipe let go. They didn't do mm-hmm. whatever they do with the PVC. Um, and we had to have, we had to drill through the concrete mm-hmm. uh, to repair that um, that leak. And so sometimes, you know, it's a simple word with someone, but sometimes it's a labor long. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes we equate mental health with people who are a certain socioeconomic or, or somebody that's educated or not educated. It, it, it you, we, we have people, I had, I had someone who, who was so distressed, they had lost touch with reality mm-hmm. um, and came into my office. So, and it wasn't that she was not educated. She had the highest degrees available. Mm-hmm. Um, so we need to be gentle with one another. We need to be kind with one another. We need to think thoughts about one another that are mm-hmm. healthy and not toxic. And it's, and I, I really, I, I want to go back th- this more seriously. I want to go back to that metaphor with the contractors because the more I think about that metaphor and the more times I replay it in my head, the more I like it. If you look at it, you could take that metaphor and apply it to kids. If if someone raised their kids without yes. <clears throat> using proper tools and proper things to make the house square and make a good foundation, the foundation's going to be crooked and it's going to be hard for that house to function. And that's not the kid's fault. Mm-hmm. Or alternatively, if you have a relationship with someone who comes into your life, building an addition onto your house. If they do it without the appropriate tools, you're going to have an addition that has a leak or you know, whatever other problem. Again, it's not your fault that the addition was built wrong, although you now have to fix it. And you have to get assistance in re-squaring, re-plumbing, rewiring, whatever it is. The more I think about yes. that 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 metaphor, the more I like it. 
Wonderful. Remember that mental health disorders tell you something. The thinker is out of order. Hmm. It's disordered. Mm-hmm. We want to bring it into some kind of a semblance of order. Mm-hmm. So mental health is is an amazing I mean I mean it, it's such a huge topic and we could be here all night and can we sort of have to wrap up because we're bumping up on the hour it is if I hear you right and again I like the analogy of the of the inve- or the uh, the installment plan I love that for mm-hmm. a takeaway um, and the phrase I'll add it on the screen again that our words are containers of power I think I think that that's mm-hmm. an amazing just a nugget. And for our headline, I think I'm going to use Anne is the Mike Holmes of mental health as I think it paints a picture <laughs> and it's a good picture. And again, I'm not even joking is I think, I think our whole idea of, of the home and how it's built is so important. And yet huge issues in the home are fixable. Yeah. And sometimes you don't have the knowledge to fix it, which is why you call a Mike Holmes. You call in a professional who knows how to fix it and who can help you work through the process of fixing it. I mean, it's not a perfect analogy, but it's there. You can't always do it on your own. If Mike Holmes had a Glock, he would be <laughs> in Dickow. <laughs> oh, that's too funny. <laughs> well, and... Thank you very much for joining us and our yes, very irreverent you. Will and Dave show. It 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 always is a pleasure. I don't see you nearly as often as I should. <laughs> and I have thoroughly appreciated this. There's a thank you, Anna, from Nancy Mercier, who was watching, and she appreciated it. And Wonderful. So we just it's want to say thank you. Yes. <laughs> We it's just not every say, day I get in front of a camera with Dave and I feel like I've actually learned something, but today is one of those days and it's not his fault. It's, it's, it's yours. <laughs> well, good, good. <laughs> so on that note, folks, we're going to wrap up and say mm-hmm. good night for one more Saturday night. Um, mm-hmm. William, yep. would you have anything you got to say to our folks before we quit? Uh, stay safe. Don't die. <laughs>